0: This bitter earth Well, what the fruit it bears. Fifteen years ago, we experienced, as a nation, a bitter earth experience when 9-11 took place. It was a tragedy that impacted every single person in this nation. And in spite of the world we long for, you know, we long for a world of light and love and joy and hope, in spite of the world we long for, an anniversary like this, of an event like 9-11, reminds us of the reality. We don't live in the world we long for. This is a bitter earth, cold, messed up. You glad you came? Yeah. It reminds me of a moment I experienced with my dad. I mean, many, many, many years ago, I was starting to pass from the protected innocence of my childhood to the very big realities of being an adult in this world. I was starting to see the world beyond the fairy tales and the illusions and the dreams and the fantasies and the innocence of my own purity, and starting to see that things were messed up. I mean, they were messed up. And so I asked my dad, I, I tried to put words to my confusion and frustration, and I said, Dad, why is this world so messed up? I mean, I just wanted to know. And he said, that's really not the best question. (laughs) Now, it wasn't the best question, as it turns out, but, but this will give you a little small glimpse into my dad, into what I experienced growing up. If you don't know, my dad was a lawyer and a judge. Well, that should explain just about almost everything for you. He was a lawyer and a judge in front of the bench, behind the bench, and I was his kid. woo How much fun growing up. He would, he would in no way allow me to go through life asking the wrong questions. And so he continually challenged me and frustrated me to no end to, to try and think, think beyond the natural to, to something bigger and more important and... And I hated it back then. I just hate it. Would you just answer the frickin' question? That's kind of what I was <laughs> thinking. But, but today I'm so grateful that he caused me to have to think behind what I see. And he went on. He said, he said Brad, the better question would be, why isn't the world more messed up than it is? Now that's the right question. It's a better question at least, because my question was assuming that the world shouldn't be messed up. Why is the world messed up? You know, why why is there injustice? Why do bad things happen to good people? How come there's inequity and racial injustice and social injustice of all kinds? Why why is the world messed up and, and it was messing me up and I, I couldn't live in that context and And I was still wanting the world to be my fairy tale. I was still wanting to live in the delusion. I was still wanting to think that's how it was supposed to be. And he said, no. The better question is, why isn't the world more messed up than it is? And the reason that's the better question is because it matches with what God tells us. You see, as believers, very often we forget the the turmoil, the darkness, the despair of our lives before coming to Christ. We, We forget the hopelessness the meaninglessness and and we start forgetting those things and so god through the apostle paul in ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 wanted us to remember don't forget what the world's like before you know jesus before you can connect with god through his death burial and resurrection and nobody says in chapter 2 verse 12 of ephesians he says remember that at the time you were separate from christ before you knew jesus christ You were without hope, I mean no hope, without hope, because you were without God in this world. A world without God is a world without hope. And what we need to do is we need to look around because we live in a world without either. It's a world that is clearly trying to divorce itself from God, the concept of God, And it's a world that is clearly losing hope at unbelievable speed. It explains why the world's so messed up. Because anything without God is without hope. But it doesn't explain the better question. It doesn't explain why it isn't even more messed up. Of course the world's messed up. Without God, without hope, but why isn't it more messed up? Why isn't it completely consumed by darkness? How come it isn't completely consumed by despair? Why isn't it worse? Well, that's an interesting question. And the answer comes down to one word. Jesus. The reality of Jesus keeps this world from being even more messed up than it is Take Jesus out, and you have only darkness. Take Jesus out, and you have only injustice. Take Jesus out, and you have only hatred. Take Jesus out, and you have only despair. But because of Jesus, it's not owned entirely by those things. Jesus makes it possible for us, see, to know God, and therefore to know hope. And that's what this series is going to be about. It's going to be about the hope of Jesus, the hope that can literally change each and every one of our personal lives and how we experience this world. It's, it's the hope that can change our world, and that's what we're going to be unfolding in this series. And I, I have to tell you, this is probably one of the most personal series that I've given in a very, very long time. It's flowing out of my own personal conversations with God and and it's, I believe, one of the most relevant series I've given a very long time. Because if there's one thing this world needs, it's hope. Our vision here at Northridge really is to see our world changed by the hope of Jesus. Jesus. That's our preferred picture of the future. We believe that because we exist, our world should be changed by the hope of Jesus. It should be made different because of the hope of Jesus. And this answers the why question. Why do we want to wake the world up to Jesus? Because we want to see our world changed by the hope of Jesus. Why do we want to show them his love and tell them his truth and involve them? Because we want to, we want to see our world changed by the hope of Jesus, too many of us are wasting our time trying to change the world with stuff that can't change the world. But if we would commit ourselves to the hope of Jesus, we could change this world to a different world. And so what we have to understand is that this is what the Bible calls the church to do. In fact, the book of Acts is going to be our great example. We're going to kind of unfold the book of Acts. By sections in this series, and you need to know the Book of Acts shows the hope of Jesus changing the world. That's—it's—it's showing the hope of Jesus literally transforming the world of that day. It happened in the Roman, the times of the Roman Empire, and you know the Roman Empire was absolutely consumed with darkness and hatred and despair. It was one messed up world. and yet it was changed, it was turned upside down. Maybe better said, it was turned right side up by the hope of Jesus. These nobodies from nowheresville changed the Roman Empire, not by voting in a new Caesar, not by you know, changing the educational system, not by you know, attacking the philosophers, not by signing petitions in the cathedral lobbies. They changed the Roman Empire by introducing it to the only thing that can change the world, Jesus. In the book of Acts, we we get to see Jesus advancing hope through the early church, through his people of that day. And this summer, I have literally read through Acts just a ton of times, I mean slowly and quickly and studying the book of Acts over and over and over again. And you might not know, but the book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are known as the Gospels, the the unfolding of Jesus' life and ministry in this world. And then the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about advancing hope through the world. 28 chapters of it. And it's an amazing book. It's a crazy thing what God does through those who trust in him and follow him in the book of Acts. But I have to tell you, you read these 28 chapters and it's enthralling, it's compelling, it's exciting. And then you get to the ending and it sucks. Do do you like watching a movie that ends poorly? No. Do you like reading a book and then it ends? No. That's the book of Acts. It doesn't... It's like there's no ending. It's like, you know, all this stuff's going on and then Paul's in Rome and then he's in prison and he's teaching people. And I go, what next? 28 chapters, no ending. In that particular, that particular book, we, we literally see Jesus advancing his message through the early church, his hope through the early church. We see a brief look at the very beginning of what Jesus has planned for his church and then no ending at all. And I go, where's the ending? And God says, it hasn't ended yet. You see, it's still going. It didn't end with chapter 28. It's still being written. And see, in the book of Acts, we get to see how Jesus wants, now this is important, to advance his hope through today's church, through us. This gets exciting to me. Because you see, this explains the title of our series, our The book of Acts is still being written. That means we are writing chapter 29. We are in the story. We are writing the story. God's working through us today. It's an exciting thing. But I'm challenged by it because I love... There were some bad things in those 28 chapters, but I loved it. And those who chose to let Jesus work, it was compelling, and they changed the world. And I wonder, how much will people enjoy reading chapter 29? Is our story going to be that compelling? Is our story going to be that amazing? Is our story going to see the world changed because of the way we let Jesus pour his hope through us? And that's a question yet to be answered, isn't it? And we, we face a problem, and remember this is very personal, I mean this is flowing out of my own deal. We face a real problem writing a great chapter 29. And the problem that we face is that we tend to think of Jesus as past tense. We, we tend to think of what he once did and what he once taught. We tend to see ourselves separated from him in both time and space. We, we tend to see ourselves as distant from us. You know, haven't you asked the question, Jesus, where are you? Why aren't you here today like you were there yesterday? Where have you gone? And this is a huge problem because Jesus can't work through a people who don't think he's there. This is a big deal. We kind of see ourselves as second-class citizens to the early church. I hate to say it out loud, but it's true. I mean, after all, they, they got to experience Jesus firsthand, right? And we only get to experience him secondhand. It's like sometimes, and I'm just being honest with myself uh, before you, I, sometimes I kind of think if it's a stadium and, and the early church, you know, God gave them tickets on the front row. And we're up in nosebleed section. Can't even see the feel. What's going on? Where's Jesus? Don't. Will you be honest with me? Don't you kind of feel distant from him like that? I need to say this clearly and loudly. This kind of thinking is wrong. And this kind of thinking is keeping us from experiencing the hope of Jesus that changes us. And it's keeping us from living the hope of Jesus in a way that will change our families and our world. We've got to get it right. And so I'm excited that you're here for the opening of this series, chapter 29, and I hope that you will commit to it because this is a life-changing series in potential. It's changing me. So here's the truth we're going to start with. It's the truth that the book of Acts starts with. Jesus is still working, and Jesus is still present today. He's still pre- Where's God? Here. What's he doing? Working. How? The way he always has and does. The only question is, are we letting him be present in us and work in and through us? That's the only question. Jesus is just as much at work today as he was back then. And the book of Acts, I, I, I can't get past the first verse. I can't get past the first verse in this first talk because it says it. Look at what Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says. In my former book, Theophilus... I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's the first sentence of the book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Former book, former book. Well, you need to know this book was written by a guy named Luke. Luke. Written to Theophilus. we. Really, people have opinions and all this different stuff, but no one really can anchor who this Theophilus was. It could have been a benefactor supporting ministry. It could have been a powerful person that was interested in the things of Christ. It could have been just a guy that Luke was working with as it relates to leading him to faith in Jesus, to the hope of Jesus. We don't know. But, but, but Luke says, in my former book, that's the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Well, what's he do in his former book? In his former book, it presents the entire life and ministry of Jesus. It presents his birth, his his life and ministry as an adult, his calling of disciples. You know what it presents? It presents his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then you know what it presents? It presents him ascending into heaven. In chapter 24 of Luke, he's going up into heaven. Now, that's a good ending. That's like, whew, glad I read this book. He's floating up to glory, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, good ending, pretty terrific. But it's ended. It's done. He's done. His life on earth is over. The whole thing's accomplished, promise fulfilled. Isn't that great? Fantastic. And then you know what he says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of his follow-up book? You know that former book where I wrote about the entire life and ministry of Jesus on earth where it ends with him going to heaven? Yeah, that was about what Jesus began to do and teach. That former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all Jesus began to do and teach. Whoa, no, no, you, it's the end. He's in heaven now. It's up there. No, it's about what he began to do because, you see, he is now still doing and he is now still teaching and he's doing it through those who let him live in and through them. And that's the book of Acts. This is an exciting thing because you see the book of Acts. <laughs> that was really interesting. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it would have been more affirming if it was thousands instead of three of you. But that's a, it's a whole different issue. So here, but here's the thing. He was like... You know, when Jesus was doing it himself on earth and then went to heaven, that's what he began to do. But you know what he's now doing? He's now doing it through every single person who allows him to live in and through them. That's the church. That's what we're supposed to be. That's the book of Acts. When you look at the book of Acts, it's not Jesus down there healing eyes and, and dying on a cross and do that. That's all done. The book of Acts, which changes the world, Was Jesus working through people like us, and he's still doing that kind of work today? The only question is, are we letting him? Jesus is still present and working today. By the way, you're going to have to forgive the bulging temples, the veins in my head, the intensity I'm going to come off with because... We're missing everything if we don't understand this truth. Jesus is still working. Jesus is still present. Jesus is still going. He's still writing the story, and he wants to use us to write it. We're not second-class citizens. We're first-class citizens. And it's time we take our seat in business class. That's what we need to do. The, the book of Acts reveals that Christianity is present tense not past tense. All other religions, now get this, you wanna know what the difference between other religions and Christianity is? All other religions on this planet are past tense. Christianity is present tense because we live for and follow and serve and are empowered by the presence of a living Savior and a living Lord. All other religions have only the memory of a long-since-dead prophet or teacher. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything, and if we're going to experience him and his hope in a life-changing way ourselves, we need to realize this. If our world is going to experience him and his hope in a life-changing way, then they have to realize that we have to stop believing in the historical Jesus and we have to start believing in the Jesus who is alive and walking and working today. Do you realize Time Magazine, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel have no problem doing programming on the historical Jesus because a Jesus who only lived yesterday doesn't mess with them today. But he doesn't just live yesterday, he lives today. And he wants to mess with every single one of us. And that will change the world. <laughs> Hebrews thirteen eight says it. It says it straight up. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Wait a minute. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, most of us buy it, the same forever, most of us buy it, but we're not living like he's the same today. He's the same today. The question is, are we experiencing him? Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said it, and surely I am with you always. So you lived this last week like that, did you? In your marriage, this is... How you're living in the marketplace, the workplace, in your personal life? I am with you always to the very end. They know we're we're living like he lived back then. But the truth is, he lives today. The question is, does he live in us? Do you see it? This is a big deal. Now, if we're going to get a hold of this thing. Um, there are some things we have to know, right? There are some things we have to know so that we can get past all the tendencies and baggage and we can truly unleash Jesus in our lives. And so just want to share some things I think we need to know if we're going to realize that he began it back then but he's still doing it today. Here, here's the first thing. Our world is no different than theirs. I listen to Christians today, and it's like, oh, my gosh, the world is worse than it's ever been. Oh, my gosh, the values and the morals its going down. Oh, my gosh, oh, God can't even turn this world around. I mean, are you flipping kidding me? <laughs> the only difference between their world and ours might be that we have it a lot better than they did. Maybe you should stop watching the news channel you're watching because it's confusing you, friends. This... This world is not any different than anyone else's world. And why is it important? We have this tendency to magnify what God did in the past and diminish what he's doing in the present. Did any of you see Midnight in Paris, the movie Midnight in Paris? It's a Woody Allen film. Some of you are going, I never thought I'd hear a pastor use Woody Allen as an illustration in a talk. I get it, but... It was a great movie because, you know what, it, it was all about how people, every generation of humanity tends to think there was a, a golden era in previous generations and they had missed out. And then the lead character kind of finds out, well, that's messed up. That's just not true. And, and we do the same thing. It's human nature to do it, but it's, it's not reality. I'm going to tell you, the, the early church didn't have it easier or better. Their world was very much like ours. It was a world of religious tensions like ours, right? It was a world of political upheaval, like ours. (laughs) It it was a world of of racial divides. And isn't it sad that here in the 21st century, the racial divides and tensions and devastation, isn't that just sad? But theirs was a world of racial divides. Theirs was a world of economic oppression where there were the haves and the have-nots and very few of the haves and very many of the have-nots, very much like our world. Theirs was a world of of moral depravity. Look at Romans 1.25. It could have been written about today, but it was written about their world. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They threw away truth for their lie and they worshipped instead and served created things rather than the creator and that's a description of our world. It was a world of, of upside-down priorities. It was a world of slave trafficking. We have Love Runs, a ministry trying to help curb slave traffic in our world. They had it back then. It was a world of ethically bankrupt leaders, self-serving, pleasure-seeking, living contrary to God's values. Ours is a world of ethically bankrupt leaders. In fact, we vote for them. It, it was a world of hopelessness. Like our world, it was a bitter earth, a bitter earth. But here's the good news, and this is such good news. They conquered their world. Not through politics, because that's not the hope of the world, and not through education, that's not the hope of the world, and not through science, that's not the hope of the world. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but they conquered their world through the only thing that can change the world, the hope of Jesus. And you know what's great news? So can we. So can we. So that's the first thing we need to know. Yeah, our world's messed up. The world's always been messed up. Why isn't it messed up more? Because Jesus' hope is lingering in certain places, but we can transform our world like they did theirs with the hope of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that no matter who gets elected in November, Jesus is still alive and Lord? Isn't that awesome? Unbelievable. Some of you go and say, oh man, if this person gets elected, I hope Jesus comes. He's already come, his hope is still here. Uh, I could get carried away. I don't know. There's another thing we need to know. We need to know Jesus is still working in the same way. Did you know that Jesus is still working? Wish Jesus did that today. He does in people who give him their lives. Jesus is still working. We have all the same promises, all of them. In fact, the first sermon ever preached in the first church, Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 39, look what Peter said. Repent and be baptized. In other words, Stop trusting what you've been trusting. Stop living for what you've been living for. Instead, turn in faith to Jesus and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is hope in you. See, when Jesus is in you, hope is in you. You will never find hope in this world, but you don't have to find hope in this world if hope is in you. That's Jesus. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And the promise is... He said, for you who were alive in that day and for your children to the people who were alive in that day. But then he says, and for all who are far off. Who's he talking about there? Us. The promise is for us. It's still the same promise. He's still doing and teaching the same things. All you have to do is just go through the Gospels to see what he's doing. People go, what's he doing? What's he doing? Go through the Gospels because he's doing the same thing. That was just the beginning. Do you realize he broke into our natural world supernaturally when he came to this planet? Right? He he broke into this world. God created the world. Jesus created this world. And he broke into the world and became all man and still divine through the virgin birth. You know, God conceived Jesus in the virgin Mary and he was born. That's supernatural You say that's not how babies are born You're right (laughs) But that's how Jesus was born Because he broke into this world supernaturally And here's what you need to know That was just the beginning of his doing Do you know he is still working supernaturally today? Do you know it's impossible for a supernatural God to Not to work supernaturally. Do you know why we're not experiencing it? For the same reason the multitude of people didn't experience it in the book of of Acts. Because we're not letting the supernatural God live supernaturally in us. We're looking for God to give us natural things that will make us happy, natural things that will give us joy, natural things that will give us hope. Natural things will never give you hope because natural things don't last, but Jesus in you is supernatural, and that's a hope that lasts. We can have it in us. He changed lives back then. He's still changing lives today. He walked with his people back then. He's still walking with people today. He's still forgiving. He's still setting free, giving peace, quenching thirst. He's still showing the way. He's still making the way. He's still providing. Simply, he's still giving hope. Are you experiencing it? Take the thing that's most messed up in your world, the the place that has most consume the light of your life with darkness maybe it's relational, maybe it's vocational maybe it's financial, maybe it's political I don't know what it is for you but I do know this you take that place and let me ask you are you experiencing hope there? because when you let Jesus into that area since Jesus is hope it has to become hope are you experiencing it? So the first thing is, you know, I mean, we have to realize our world is no different than theirs. We have to realize Jesus is still working in all the same ways. There's a third thing I think would be good for us to to know, and it's the simple fact that our opportunities are the same. Did you know we have the same opportunity to know God that they did? We have the same opportunity to experience God that they did? We have the same opportunity of being used by God as they did? (laughs) It's awesome. Be careful what you wish for. Because, you know, they understood that having hope in them in a world that had no hope, having God in them in a world that didn't want God would create its own trouble. As Jesus was put on the cross, those who followed him and let Jesus live in and through them, all of them were persecuted in all kinds of ways. And in fact... uh, all the apostles died a martyr's death, were killed for their faith, except for one. He was just boiled in oil and then put on an isolated island for a while so he could write the book of Revelation. He had it good. They weren't weren't people of hope because they lived in a world of hope. They lived in a bitter earth, friends. A bitter earth. But hope was in them. And because they lived that hope, the bitter earth started seeing some light and started seeing some love and started seeing some hope that transformed it. And that's the chapter we're supposed to be writing. We're not supposed to be consumed by the bitter earth we're experiencing in our relationships. We're not supposed to be consumed by the bitter earth we're experiencing in our our economic lives or whichever place we're touching this world in. We're supposed to experience his hope no matter what circumstances we're in. Our opportunities are the same. In fact, look at Acts chapter 5, verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. They they lived in a world where they were being threatened with death if they told the truth of Jesus. Their world didn't want the truth of Jesus because they wanted a world without God. Don't we live in the same kind of world? Aren't we being threatened? Doesn't political correctness in our world threaten us to leave the truth out so that people can do what they want? Isn't that the world we live in? And most of us are surrendering to it, just like back then. But those that didn't changed the world. And look what it says. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Acts 5.28, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Do you know how their world was transformed? Because, in spite of the threats of their world, they filled their world with the hope of Jesus, and hope can't do anything but change the world. And that's our opportunity. Some of us are putting our whole life at stake for politics, and there's nothing wrong with working for politics, but you know what you're going to get if your candidate wins? More of the same. But you know what you'll get if Jesus wins, the world will be changed forever. Shouldn't we be working for Jesus wherever we're at? If you're involved in politics, take Jesus into politics. You'll win nothing, but you could change the world. I could almost get excited about this. I'm on a verge. I could almost become Harvey Carey or something like that. You know, I mean, it's like, Ooh. We have... <laughs> the only negative is you know the doors are locked and I'm not stopping. You know that right now. <laughs> here's, the, here's the question. Will our choice be the same as theirs? Got the same kind of world going on. Jesus is still working in the same way. We have the same kind of opportunities. We're first-class citizens in the kingdom of God and His church. Will our choice be the same? good news, they weren't perfect people. This series is just going to unfold the realities of some of the principles of their lives. And one of them is none of them were perfect. There's no such thing. But they chose Jesus and His hope. You see, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to play house to the Jesus who is perfect in hope. It forever changed their lives. It ultimately forever changed their messed up world. And let me just tell you right now, it's our turn now. Their world changed because they lived Jesus' hope. It's our turn now. Will our world change? Will our story be worth reading? Here's the application. I'll just kind of bring it home and then we'll. This is the application. This is is the key. I hope you'll get this. We have to stop believing in the historical Jesus. Not, we don't stop believing that he lived. He really did, that he was literal. We have to stop believing in the historical Jesus. We have to stop believing in, in the Jesus who lives in the past, and we have to start believing in the Jesus who's still present and working today. Because if we do, it will change everything. We have to start believing in the Jesus who's right now doing, who's right now teaching, who's right now providing, who's right now forgiving, who's right now helping, healing, guiding, empowering, and protecting. Because when we believe in that Jesus doing those things, we start experiencing transformation. And when we start experiencing transformation, the light starts shining. And when the light starts shining, other people start seeing it. And that's what our world needs. Realize that this is true no matter how difficult or tragic the circumstances. Because some of you are going, you know, I'd love to live hope. And I know some people are getting ready for some ministry positions. I hope all of you will hang in. Some of you are going, it would be great if I could have hope, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what my world's like. You don't know how difficult my circumstances, how tragic they are. Well, let me just tell you, this is true no matter how tragic your circumstances are. Just take 9-11 as an example. As tough as it is and as tough as it was to understand, Jesus was there. It happened on a Tuesday, 9-11, and on the weekend following, I I did a talk, Where Was God on Tuesday? Because the big question is, Where was God? They were asking my question, right? Why is the world messed up? And... And I I had to speak into it, and the answer is Jesus was there. Did you know he never promised the absence of trouble? But he always promised to be present with us in trouble. Look at Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. In the good times on the mountaintop when everything's going great. Won't be doing that again. (laughs) I took up drugs this summer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. An ever-present help, not in the good times, but in trouble. But what are we filled with in times of trouble? Despair, when we should be filled with hope. Right? John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. That's Jesus talking right there. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And you go, well, oh, that's great that you overcame the world back then, but you don't live in the world I do. Yes, he does. He's still here. He's still working. He's still overcoming. Are you letting him do it in you? At the center of 9 /11, he was there, and I just I need you to know and this is where it gets very personal and hopefully very relevant he's also here right now. I, I don't know what you're experiencing. I know some of you are experiencing some real hell on Earth. You're experiencing your own collapse of some kind. I get it. I go through it. But he's here. In fact, here's where my dad's influence comes in again. The best question isn't the one we tend to ask. You know what we tend to ask, right? Where is he? My marriage is falling apart. Where is he? My life is falling apart. Where is he? My, I lost my job. Where is he? That's not the best question. But here's the best question. Are you ready? Where are you? Because he's where he's always been. Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You see, too many of us are carrying the weariness and the burdens of this world because we're looking for joy and hope in this world. You're not going to find it. But if we come to him... In this bitter earth, we can experience rest. Are you? This is your moment to come. So just before I bring this in, I have some thoughts I want to share as we move forward. I'm going to ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you do that? If you're already a believer, I think you should be talking to God about how you've forgotten that he's the hope that you've forgotten that he's still working in you and working through you or wants to, and just give him the opportunity. You come. And then for those of you who've never trusted him, and I think there are many of you, why don't you pray with me right now and let hope in? Make my words yours quietly just to God in your heart. Say, Jesus, right now I'm coming to you. And I am weary and burdened. I I know I've sinned, I know I'm living without your hope, I know I'm empty, I'm guilty, but I'm putting my trust in Jesus, your death for my sin, your resurrection for new life, and so I'm repenting and turning to you in faith. And I'm asking you to give me rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you just prayed with me, let me know would you? We make it really easy. And I'm not going to show up on your doorstep this week and knock on the door and say, "Boo, I'm not going to do that, all right? This is we want to send you a letter about information about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. In the program we gave you when you came in is this little perforated page that says connect on the top. Check the relevant circle on the bottom for you. Maybe for the first time you prayed to let Jesus in. If you did, check that if Maybe you are renewing your faith. Check that. And there are boxes at every exit of this auditorium. Just throw it in there, and we'll send you a letter. And if you're watching online, we're thrilled that you're watching online. And all you have to do is hit the What Next button on your tablet or computer, and we'll do the same for you. For those of you who have access to Northridge Church, any of our campuses, we're starting on October 1 and 2 a brand-new season of starting point groups. And starting point groups are a great way where you can start understanding God's, who God is and the Bible and what it means to you and how you can start wrestling through the issues of life with Jesus in you. And, and it's great. I hope that you'll sign up for it in the lobby or online and check it out. And We also have a prayer team that meets up here every weekend at all of our campuses. If, if you want someone to pray with you after the service ends, just come down here and the prayer team will be glad to get with you. But here's how I want to end this talk. When I first came to this church, and it's September 2016 right now, I came to this church in October 1990 as the senior pastor. I was seven years old. And um, uh, 26 years ago in October, I first came to this church as the senior pastor. And this church was experiencing bitter earth. They, they had known... Jesus working in amazing ways in the past, but for three and a half decades, they had been in decline. They had lost two generations of their own kids. Their average age was near 60, and I mean, it, it was dark. And every, everybody in the church almost thought that Jesus' work was all in the past. And I asked the question. I was the pastor. I was asking the question, you know, what do you think Jesus is going to do in the future? What do you think Jesus can do in the future? And everybody says, No the future will never be as bright as the past. You know what my job was, I figured out? My job was to help them to see that he was still working in the present. That was my job. And boy, when people started believing that he was still working in the present and they started letting him live in them, do you know what happened? This place exploded. Our our future after 1990 was way bigger than their past, as great as it had been. Because they realized Jesus is still present and working. This church has nothing to do with Brad Powell. Brad Powell can't change a life. You want to know? Ask my wife. You know, I mean, I can't change nothing. But you know what I can do? I can tell you that Jesus is still working, and I can encourage you to let him in because when you do, he is still changing lives and the world. And Northridge Church, no matter what's happening, or guest, no matter what's happening in your life right now, I want you to know Jesus isn't through with you. Your best days weren't yesterday. Your best days are ahead of you if you will let Jesus in. And the same is true with our church. God's done amazing things here, but I am not living to preserve what God's done, and I am not living to defend against loss. I believe if we unleash Jesus in this place today, he will do things in our future that we can't even comprehend. He'll change our world by his hope. Let's let him do it. We're literally... Living in a world that's a messed up, bitter earth, but that's what the world's always been. But Jesus' hope can change the world. So here's what I'm asking. Are you ready? We're living in a world consumed with whether people, just think about the present moment. People in our world right now are consumed with whether people are going to stand or not for the national anthem before football games today. That's what they're consumed by. I mean, more people are gonna watch the national anthem during football games this today than have ever watched it in history. Some put their hope in standing for anthems, that's the way. And some put their hope in sitting or kneeling for anthems, that's the way, and they're all trying to fight this world of hopelessness, this bitter earth we're experiencing, right? And it's just making it even more tense. But here's the truth. The only hope worth doing anything for is the hope of Jesus. And as for me, I'm choosing his hope. My prayer is that you'll join me. I want chapter 29, to be one of the most remarkable chapters God has ever written. And it can be because Jesus is still present and Jesus is still working. And all we have to do is let him work in us. And so I believe this series, chapter 29, is going to be transformative for all of us who will engage it. And I'm begging you to make it part of your fall. But don't just make it part of your fall because the world needs the hope of Jesus. Would you start inviting every one of your thems into to experience hope? Because when they do, that's when they find it. His name is Jesus. I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.